chapter 9, starting at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today's reading basically comes at the conclusion of an upward journey. It starts in Capernaum down by the Sea of Galilee and uh, also known as Lake Tiberias. It's, it's uh, a relatively low altitude because it's down by the water, but then while they're in Capernaum, they are, have just returned from their first missionary journey. and. And these guys are stoked. I mean, they are wound up. They've just come back from witnessing miracles that came at their hands. They came back excited and thrilled because of everything they had witnessed. They preached the word and people responded positively. People were saved. You know, it was an exciting time for them. And I could sort of imagine them all sitting around Peter's living room, you know, and telling about this amazing journey they've been on. And, and Jesus just sitting there with glowing eyes. And I even imagine him, you know, giving a few high fives. Like, yeah, isn't that awesome? I mean, I know what that's like, you know, when, when you first have that experience of, of really being anointed and, and doing God's will and seeing results, it's, it's kind of exciting. And they came back and they told the Lord. And of course, every time he was anywhere outside in Capernaum, he was a celebrity surrounded by, you know, the paparazzi and autograph seekers, that kind of thing. I'm joking. But... Then again, it's a way for you to kind of identify that experience as you can remember seeing that sort of thing happen in our society. But Jesus says to them, okay, now we need to get out of here for a while. You guys need to decompress. And so Jesus, he takes them up from there, up into the hills. But pretty soon the crowds figure out where they are. And again, they're surrounded by people and Jesus has compassion. Seems like he's always got time for the crowds and the suffering and the needy. And, and so Jesus goes ahead, he preaches to them, and there are probably 5,000 or more of them there. And, and then it's late, and they're out in the country, and there's no place for them to get food. So Jesus says, these folks are hungry. You need to feed them. 
Now remember, these are the guys that just came back from seeing themselves preach and work miracles and all this kind of stuff. And, and what do they say as soon as they're back within Jesus' presence? Are you kidding me, Jesus? We don't have enough food to feed these people. You know, you had to be a little disappointed, don't you think? I mean, they had just seen the power of the Lord through them. But now that he's standing there, it's just easier to let Jesus do it. And so he takes what little they have, and then, of course, you've probably heard this one before, but everybody got fed. Thousands of people got fed from a small amount of food, not even enough for one family, really. And again, they witnessed this profound miracle. But now it's time to climb higher because he still hasn't had this private conversation with them that he set out to. So he takes them even higher up to a place near Caesarea Philippi. And up there he's asking the disciples in a more private setting, so, so who do you say I am? And of course, they did what most of us do. They say, well, you know, some people say you're this and some people say you're that. And it's a little like this thing we were talking about a few minutes ago. You know, people can say, it's easy to say what the delegates decided, but sooner or later, somebody's going to ask you what you think. Jesus puts them on the spot and he says, I didn't ask you what everybody else says. I want to know who you think I am. And Peter's the only one that speaks up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus tells him, you know, the Spirit revealed that to you. You didn't, you didn't just figure it out. It was something between you and the Spirit. The truth became clear to you, and now you're professing it. And then he proceeds to tell them in this private conversation. Now, guys, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom. Now, Jesus said that to them in this private conversation. And of course, they started figuring, well, this must mean that, that uh, some of them aren't going to die. Well, again, this is a matter of interpretation, but I think that if you believe, as I do, that the same John who wrote the revelation of Jesus that's the last book in your Bible, is the one who was there, then it's true that before he died, he saw the kingdom. He saw the coming of the kingdom. So I think that's what Jesus was driving at. But then they climb higher still, Jesus and three of them. I believe they climbed up onto Mount Hermon. That's because if you look at a map, you can sort of see how they left Capernaum and they just kept going higher and higher until they were up on Mount Hermon. It's high enough that it has snow on its peak most of the year. And the three apostles that are with him witness this story that we just read from Scripture. The Bible says they were asleep. I think they passed out personally. I would. I'm sorry, but 
I can identify with that. I climb up a mountain, I'm already in a high altitude situation. I'm already worn out. And then, and then God shows up and Moses and Elijah, I mean, that'd be enough for me to pass out for a while. But it also tells us something just, just as an aside, because I don't know about you, but I often wonder about death and heaven and stuff like that. I mean, I don't fear it or anything, but when you're looking for truth in the Bible that helps you to, to prepare yourself emotionally for such things. Here's one for you. You think Peter, James, and John had ever seen Moses or Elijah before? But they knew that's who they were. Just kind of gives me comfort to know that when we enter into God's presence, we'll, we'll know people. We'll know some cool people as well as those family members, we might get to meet some of the greatest people that ever lived and probably were never lauded once. But I digress. It looks like after seeing this, after Peter came out of his fainting spell, he, he says, I know, let's build a tabernacle for each of you. Now, you have to understand that what he says isn't as ridiculous as it might seem, because it says tents in one translation, tabernacles in another. What he's referring to is the same thing that Moses and the Exodus Israelites had in the wilderness, a temporary, mobile worship place where God dwelled. And so Peter just assumes logically that God's here, Moses is here, Elijah's here, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Therefore, it makes sense that up here on Mount Hermon or wherever it was, we should erect tabernacles. That way we have places to worship them. He probably imagined that, you know, people would be coming there and, you know, he'd be at the gate taking tickets. I mean, what a deal. I'm joking, of course, but the idea isn't absurd, really. But then God, none other than God, surrounds them with the cloud and says, Pete, this is my son. Listen to him. And what was the last thing that Jesus said to them before they went up on the mountain? He said, I have to go to Jerusalem to die to lay in the tomb for three days and rise again and then ascend to be with the Father. He told them all of that in their little private discussion at Caesarea Philippi. And so the idea that Peter had didn't make sense because Jesus wasn't here to set up a tabernacle on the mountain where all of us since those days until these days would make a pilgrimage to go see Jesus. Check in with me on Pentecost Sunday and I'll remind you of what a great thing it is that he didn't do that. As you can see him right here and now, you can experience him right here and now. James and John were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder and Peter was named the Rock. Maybe it wasn't just because he was the foundation upon which the church would be built. Maybe it was because he was a bit of a rockhead at times. Sons of Thunder, they were known for being quick-tempered and argumentative. That's why they got the nickname. Why did Jesus take those three in particular for this very, very special appointment? 
Well, if my life's any indication, it's because sometimes the thickest people, once you get them straightened out, are your most powerful allies and great leaders sometimes. We know from history and more scripture that James and John and Peter would become profoundly influential in the church. What they're being asked to understand, to really wrap their minds around, is that Jesus may be the Son of God, the Christ, and may be the one who communes with God and the saints of old on the mountaintop, but he has a very human, ugly thing that he has to do, which is to surrender himself to the cross and it's pretty hard for Peter and the others to accept that because it doesn't make any sense. It makes more sense to enshrine him on the mountaintop and worship him. That makes sense. After all the miracles they've seen, after finding out that they can tell his story and send people to him, why wouldn't he stay on top of the mountain there? Why would they want to go along with this plan that's going back down the hill, descending not only back to Capernaum, but descending all the way down to Jericho and then climbing the rocky passes up to Jerusalem to die on a little hill. They had to accept Jesus' cross and they weren't at all comfortable with that. And if you ask people who are marginal understanding, have a marginal understanding of Christianity, they almost always tell you the thing that doesn't make any sense to them is all this talk of blood. I get that. We have to accept the cross of Jesus first in order to find out the most essential truth of all time and beyond. Without it, we're lost. We have to accept the fact that Jesus has to go to the cross not because of anything he did, but because of what I did. Because of my natural desire to reject God, we've been doing it so well since the very beginning. And so when I reject God, I sin against God. And then God, as much as God wants to, can't keep me close because of my sin. And so for my sake, Jesus got on the cross, and for all intents and purposes, it might as well have been me who drove the nails through his wrist and into his foot. It might as well have been me who stuck the spear in his side, put the crown of thorns on his head. It might as well have been me. That's what it means to accept the cross. It might as well have been you. But then Jesus takes it a step further, as you heard a minute ago, and he says, then take up your own cross and follow me. Do as I do. Surrender your will. Surrender your pride and follow Jesus. And where does he go? Not to the mountaintop, but down to the depths. He goes where the need is the most acute. And he sacrifices himself for the sake of all. And all he asks is that we be willing to do the same. And so he's asking us two questions today. Will you accept the cross of Jesus and then will you accept your own cross to bear? 
To put it another way, will you accept him as your Savior and then accept him as your Lord? And to have him as your Lord is to let him be the leader of your life, not your will, but his be done. Today we celebrate the sacraments of Holy Communion and Baptism, by the way. At the close of the service, we have someone who would like to be baptized. They were motivated after I preached on baptism a few weeks ago, and they said, I want to be baptized, and I don't want to wait till Easter. I want to do it now. So we got it ready, and we're going to do that right after the service. And through those sacraments of Holy Communion and Baptism, we communicate this essential truth that Jesus died on the cross for me, for you, and that it's only when we die to ourselves that we can be born into a new life. So in baptism, we see someone sort of spiritually and metaphorically descending into the grave and emerging as a new creation in Christ. In the same way, we see the simple elements of bread and grape juice translated into an expression of Jesus' body on the cross and his blood shed for my sin. And so through these sacraments, we experience that special blessing. A reminder to us to take up our cross after accepting his cross for our sake. Now before I give the words of thanksgiving for the communion, I just want to tell you that if you've never really accepted that gift of grace, unmerited favor, if you've never accepted the cross of Jesus and then assumed responsibility for your own cross as faithful disciples of Jesus, you don't have to run to the front and kneel and pray. I would welcome that if you wanted to, but you can come and take the communion elements. You can, you can eat the bread and say, this is my body and my cross. And you can drink from the cup or dip your bread in the cup and you can say, and this is the blood shed for my sake. Now I'm willing to take his authority, his yoke upon me. You can do that privately. You don't have to tell anybody, but that's what I hope for you today. Either a renewal of that conviction or if it happens to be the first time, I wouldn't mind hearing about it, but you can tell me privately. Let us pray. Holy God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. Let us, let us be your disciples, Lord, in every way as we take up our cross to honor you. Amen. Mm -hmm.